single one of you here today. If you are a visitor, a special welcome to you. Also, a new attender, Wendy and I would love to have you for coffee in our home. I think it's this weekend, Friday and Saturday. Make sure you contact her or uh, sign up downstairs. We would love to get a chance to, to get to know you a little bit. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads together and ask for God's direction, his leading, his guidance, his strength, his wisdom as we look into his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that in every way we are in need of you, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We entrust ourselves into your care for these next few moments. Father, I thank you that we have the privilege because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross to come to you directly and to come, Lord, in confidence of your grace and of your mercy and of your love. Father, I I would ask right now that you would, in a very unique way, speak to every individual heart that is here. Lord, that every person would leave this room and in the near future, knowing, Lord, that you've spoken to them, that you've challenged them, and that you've called us to serve you, and that we, we beg that you give us the ability to do it in a way that God is glorified in everything. Father, please guide me, protect my words and my lips from saying anything that you would not be pleased with. Thank you for the preciousness and the perfection of your word that we have before us. Guide us now as we learn. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm not exactly sure why it is. I, I think it's because I'm getting a little bit older. That at times I feel that I am more introspective than ever before. You know what I mean by that? Um, some of you old people like me. There's times that you just, you just want to pause and stop and kind of become reflective over what's happening around us, and we we ponder. I think that's important to do that on a regular basis because we realize, we are reminded, what is important with life and what is not important with life? What, What matters in life and what does not matter in life? Not only... Um, individually, but as a church, what what really matters for us? You know that we have been um, continuing to present a very clear vision. Why is it that we exist as a church? Why is it that we've gathered here together today? We know that our vision is what we exist to build relationships so that God is glorified in lives, families, and the community, the entire community, is transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at what I call refocusing on that vision. Why? Because we conducted a feasibility study, and 98% of those that were questioned, and there was a lot of people that are here this morning that were questioned, said, that's it, we are good to go, we are on board, let's go. 50% could actually articulate and explain, well, where is it that we are going? In fact, if I could uh, quote Dr. Stan Smith Directly, he says this in his report, it is very clear that a significant proportion of the pool of interviewers did not feel they had a good grasp on the entirety of Vision 2020. 
So we have to return to that. We have to understand, well, there's this vision, but it's actually comprised of what is referred to as, as core values. There's four core values that you pull out of that vision. One is, one is transformed, one is relationships, one is community, and one is the gospel. And what we have to be mindful of the fact is that the gospel must remain central in everything that we do. And we see this as we actually unpackage. Think about this. God is glorified when relationships are established with the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look around us. Our entire community is based on relationships. And our community is suffering from the effects of broken relationships with one another, but most importantly, a broken relationship with a holy God. This is where the gospel enters. The entire community is in need of being changed, of being transformed dramatically from a destructive lifestyle, from drug use and abuse, from divorce. And the only way, the only way that lives can be transformed, what? It brings it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the good news that God actually rescues us, redeems us. The gospel must remain central. As a church, we can plan and we can promote and we can have programs. We can administrate and communicate. But if we miss the gospel, close up shop and go home. So we understand that. What is important in life? What matters in life? We look at as a church body corporately, but we also ask ourselves individually, how am I doing? How are you doing living in light of the gospel? Knowing what the truth, there is a holy God and we are born in sin. We are sinners. We are doomed to die. And Christ stepped in and rescued us. Christ suffered and bled and died and took the wrath that you and I deserved. We know what Scripture says. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and, and, and with its desires. That's how we're supposed to live. Romans 12 says what? Well, we're to offer ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. We know what? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. How am I doing? We have to begin with that question. And every time I ask myself, how am I doing? I come to the same conclusion. There's still too much of I. That's really what it is. How am I doing? I begin to say, well, I'm reading the Bible and I'm spending time in prayer and I'm loving my wife and serving my family and providing for my family and I'm writing messages and I'm answering phone calls and I'm answering emails. Well, wait a minute. There's too much of I. There needs to be more Christ. There needs to be more focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we understand that and we say, okay, we need to do this differently. But in all honesty, it's really hard to do this differently. That's why I presented the word this morning before us that what we need to do is, is, is we have got to, to reignite this thing. We've got to light this thing back up. It is hard today to live holy. It is hard today to speak boldly and to pray fervently and we burst out of the gates with a desire to do things differently and we realize this is not easy. 
I've been blessed and encouraged by reading Risky Gospel by Owen Strachan, and he just describes where you and I are at and in his own personal testimony. See if you can identify with Strachan. Listen to what he says. He's trying to reignite a particular area in his life, his prayer life. See if you can identify. Strachan writes, maybe you had a similar experience. I saw that I needed to devote myself to prayer. So I set out to pray for half an hour. Target set, locked and loaded. I launched in. I prayed up a storm. Everything I could think of, the wind howled and the earth shook. Moses and the saints interrupted their heavenly discussions to peer down through filmy clouds at this fledgling mystic. This was serious prayer. As I wound to a close, I let my words trail off. A prayer warrior had been forged. A lifetime of supplication had begun. I looked at the clock with a sense of triumph. I saw that exactly nine minutes had lapsed. And I winced because my knees hurt from kneeling. Isn't that, isn't that how we do it at times? We're going to do things differently. We're going to examine ourselves. We're going to burst out of the gates. And, and this is really hard. We, we got to light something up here. I actually, I actually looked up the definition of the word ignite. It means this, to start or cause to start to burn, to light up or to shine. To reignite means what? It means to start again. It means to get back to burning and shining. You and I can understand, like, at one time... There was a roaring fire, but now there's these, these embers. There's just these coals. You know what we need is we need this fresh wind to kind of blow on those coals. And what, what happens? You've seen it. There's a little flame that flickers. And then you race for some little leaves or some twigs and you put it on and that little flame that flickering can to cracks into a little campfire. You add more to it and what happens? It, it becomes this roaring bonfire of warmth and with lights. That's what you and I are called to be. You and I are called to burn and to be lights shining brightly in a darkened world, illuminating everything around us, offering hope. There's so many texts throughout the pages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, you, you are the light of the world." Let your light so shine before men. Romans chapter 13, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, let us walk as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, you are the children of light. And yet what happens, it seems that at best, are these coals. Something's got to happen. I was out on Monday, and I was praying specifically. I was out for a hike. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with Drew and Jay. I've only got 42 more pounds to lose. And I, I was out, and I did the whole healthy thing. You know, there was no, there was no Milky Way bars, and there, there was no cookies. I, I took an apple. I took a bottle of water and a granola bar or a power bar or something. I have no idea what was in it. It was horrible tasting. Out for a hike, and you stop, gorgeous day, and, and I'm eating this horrible thing, and I take my Bible, and I'm like, God, I've I got to have something here. 
give me something. I'm hungry. And God gave me this text that we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter 2. Very clear and and perfectly appropriate, I believe, for, for where we are at as a body. Let me direct your attention to it. Follow along. Verse 14, Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Little context here. We see that the author, the writer is the Apostle Paul. He's addressing the church at Philippi. What is interesting here is that Paul is not addressing errant doctrine or bad teaching or bad theology. Okay, he's not addressing church conflict. Matter of fact, the Philippian church, really, like, like a lot of the neat things that God is doing through Bigwoods, is a faithful church. But Paul adds to when he speaks about the joy that we can have as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what he does? He fans us on to fervent living. That's what he does. He gives to us a couple ideas. There's a couple minor points, what I refer to as little light bulbs before it gets to the big light bulb. First little light bulbs, point number one, he talks about the fact of what it looks like to reignite and shine as light. This is what it looks like. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Just like the Philippians are not supposed to imitate the complaining Israelites, we're not supposed to either. Okay, here it is. It begins do, which means what? Well, apparently that's a command. This is not an option. This is not a multiple choice, uh, none of the above. This is a do. It's an imperative. You're required to. Do what? Do all things, not some things, which to my understanding of all things, that includes everything. Whether you like to do it, want to do it, or gifted to doing it or not, it says do all things. And then there's this phrase, without grumbling and complaining. Grumbling. What is grumbling? It's kind of like this, it's this inaudible. It's not really identifiable or distinguishable. It's, in our home growing up, it was referred to as mumbling. And there was a no mumbling rule in our home. You got something to say, then say it loud and say it clear so we can hear. I don't want any of this under your breath stuff. I just don't like this. This is a whole idea. Just some idea. Just. That's, that's mumbling. That's grumbling. We are not to function like that. We're not to be complaining. Some translations talk about the fact we're not to be in conflict. We're arguing about it. When it comes to serving, when it comes to giving, when it comes to loving, we're to do this without verbal expression of our dissatisfaction and discontentment. How are you doing when it comes to the mumbling, grumbling category? Little light bulb. It's important. It's not the most important part of this text. Second little light bulb we see here, another minor point. Why are we to reignite and shine as lights? Well, there's a purpose for this. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. There's really three adjectives that are describing the same idea. You and I are to behave in such a way we're to be blameless. It, it translates nothing to readily or immediately attach blame to. It doesn't mean you're perfect. You're to be blameless and innocent and without blemish. They're all describing what we call God calls us throughout the ages and the pages of Scripture. What? You be holy because I am holy. That's what he's talking about. A, a hunger and a desire and a pursuit. You and I are to be living every day and literally giving other people in this world an example of what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in a Christless generation. And this talks about every single area of our lives. Your business practices, your personal integrity, your word. It says what? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In every single area of life, we're to pursue holiness in your word choice. The language that you use, the jokes that you share, the attitude that you have, the focus that you have in life, the the degree of sacrifice, your pursuit of things that are not in this world. It talks about the importance of doing this because this is what we do corporately together. This is not just what my actions don't just affect me. My actions affect my family. My actions affect the entire body of Jesus Christ. Your actions don't just affect you. They affect, they impact those around you. That's why it's so important. Why? Because we live in a crooked, a twisted, some translations use the word perverse worlds. I will give no attention this morning to the glorification of the grossness and the vileness and the disgusting sinfulness that our world literally is saturated in today. Every day we are greeted with more vicious, more violent, and more vile news. And you live and are called to live uniquely and distinctly in that world. But here's the phrase I want to rest on. This is where we pause. This is the big light bulb. How how are we to do this? How? We see what it looks like. We see why we're supposed to do it. How Are we to reignite and shine as lights? How do we do this? How do we move from this coal, this ember, to a crackling and ultimately to a roaring fire? Here it is. How we are to reignite and shine as lights. Verse 16, you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. What I love about this is the author in Philippians says that you will shine. You will burn. You will ignite and you will reignite as you are holding fast. That idea has to do it. It literally means to hold your position or to hold your gaze or to fix your gaze. Same word is used. First Timothy four, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Hold tight to what you're teaching. Same word is used in Acts chapter 3. He fixed his attention on them. Same word, Acts chapter 19. Paul himself stayed. He held his place in Asia for a while. So the idea is what? Holding fast with your attention, but also with your person. 
Back to our text, Philippians chapter 2, verse what? 16. You shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So we hold our position. We're not leaving it. We're not letting go. We're staying with it. We're fixing our mind with it. We say, all right, I got it. Don't budge from this word of life. What's the word of life? Is the next obvious question, what is it? Is it God? Fix our attention on God. In John chapter 1, he's referred to as the word, but this is not a reference to God. Lowercase w here. This is not, the word of life is not a reference to God. Well, maybe it's the word of God. It kind of sounds close, right? Maybe it's the Bible. We fix our attention. We fix our gaze. We hold our position on the Bible. Well, actually, we're supposed to do that, but that's not the reference here. What is this word of life? Oh, it's a Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York, and they have really great musicals. That's what it's... No, it's not that either. What is this word of life? Here it is. This word of life, here it is, is the truth. It is the truth from the word of God that offers life. What what could it be? What is the truth from this word that offers life. Oh, oh, I get it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes back full circle. The reason that we exist, the reason that we do everything is based on the simple message of the gospel, Jesus Christ. There is one and only one holy, perfect God who created man literally everything in six 24-hour days. He gave man one piece of instruction. You can enjoy everything, but don't touch that. Don't go there. And, and Adam and Eve raced to it. And as a result of disobeying God, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind. And ever since then, we literally are described as what? By nature, we are children of wrath. You and I are broken. The first portion of the message of the offensive gospel that no one wants to hear is the fact that you and I fall short, miss the mark. We are sinners. And ultimately, the consequence of all sin is death. Yet someone, someone saw you and cared about you. Someone stepped in. Someone stepped up and rescued you. Love the description in 2 Timothy 1 that our Savior Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life. He abolished it. Well, what, what does this mean? How does this, what is this? Here you go. In, in, even in light of the incredible scientific and medical advancements that we have in our world, in our culture, in our society, if you remain on this earth, there is a 100% chance you will die. We know that. Sadly, the entire world races around in fear of that physical death. They have no idea what's next, what's going to happen. And we know that someone, we know that the truth ultimately is, sure, we may die physically, but spiritually we will live forever and ever and ever and ever. Why? Because what does it say? I love how 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of death is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does Jesus abolish death, he renders it inoperative. He abolishes the fear of death that captivates and grips the world today. We are sinners. We are dead. And Christ literally has made us alive. You know what we do? We just pause on that. We, we stop right there. We slow everything down. We were dead. I was dead in my sins and in my trespasses and my transgressions. Somebody cared about me to rescue me. We know what? That Christ suffered and Christ died and Christ bore the full wrath of his holy and heavenly Father. We know that Christ was buried, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. Christ lives. Why? So that you and I can live as well. And the bottom line is what? You and I are so undeserving of that truth. When we examine, I ask you just very honestly, why are you here today? Why did you walk through one of the seven doors to our church? What, what brought you here? I really gave that a lot of thought this week. Some people inevitably are coming because they're searching for something. If you are here searching for answers to life's questions... If you are here seeking hope, looking for hope, if you're here seeking what, is it worth it? If you're here knowing that, that you have blown it, you have sinned, you've been stuck into a life of sin, if you have come here seeking that answer, what's, what's it matter? What's out there? Let me tell you this. You came to the right place. Because here, the message of the gospel offers hope. You came to the right place at the right time on the right day. Praise God for that. Because everything we do is surrounded and needs to be surrounded around the gospel. But if, if you came here today, why else do people come to church? Well, I'd, I'd like to have a kind of a warm, tingly feeling and listen to a cute story and then go home. Could I just say this as politely as possible? Please find another church to go to. In all honesty. If, if, you, if you came to church this morning with the thinking that now I have somehow pleased God, that he, that he is so grateful that I'm here now in his church, and as a result of that, he's going to bless me with a life of ease and pleasure and comforts, Could I just say it very, very politely? Don't bother coming back. That 19 inches of real estate that you sit on is too valuable for that thinking. If you come to church with this idea that, well, if I come, someone else is going to see me out there, then they're going to say, well, that is a really good guy. That, that must really be a spiritual purpose. It's that, if that's the reason that you came here this morning... Don't come back. If you came here this morning 
thinking that you're on a personal mission, that now what? There's hope for everyone else because you're here. You're on a mission from God apart from the local church. I tell you what, it's just, no, that's not, that's not what we're looking for. But if you came here this morning to literally fall on your face and get a glimpse of the one who rescued you and redeemed you, if you came here with the purpose to lift up your voices in worship and adoration of the one who loves you unconditionally and has lavishly poured out grace upon you, if you came here to worship Him, if you came here this morning to hear a word from Him, not from a man, but from Him, then you came to the right place at the right time. We have to ask ourselves, why are we here? What are we doing with this? We have this idea that we check up, do this and do this and do this and do this, but we don't want to upset. We, have, we, have, we are so afraid to offend people that we have distanced ourselves from an offensive gospel. It's a dangerous place to be, individually and corporately. Oh, we fall so short. Yet Christ, in His grace and in His love, in the message of the gospel, is so strong. I was encouraged this week. I had a great friend remind me of a great truth, and he emailed me. And I quote to you, he said, Rest in the strength of the Lord and in His faithfulness. Rest in it. He continues, We are all cruddy sinners who will mess up along the way. He does His ministry in spite of our failures and He still lets us be apart. His mercy is that great. Press, press toward the mark. That's, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about this morning. Knowing the truth of the gospel. Holding tight. Holding fast. Fixing our gaze on the truth of the gospel. Not budging from the truth of the gospel. And what happens? We, we ignite. We reignite. We shine. We burn bright. We shine as lights in this world. So we do not run. So that we do not labor. In vain. Uh, what truth? Praise God for that truth. Praise God for this morning that we have the opportunity with both ordinances that God has commanded to identify and to recognize and to commemorate, to celebrate his death. One is the communion table and one is baptism. Praise God for that. As we pause and we celebrate the communion table. I want you to look. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. As we prepare our hearts and our minds for this, I want I want you to simply simply close your eyes and envision being there with Christ, with His disciples on that night. Luke chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen. When the hour came. He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this. Divide it among yourselves. 
For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after he had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you 